Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Right now, our conversation of the day, John and Lisa, uh, on economics. Peter Hooper joins us, of course, with Deutsche Bank, his deck on economics, hugely anticipated on Wall Street. Peter, I want to go to the heart and soul of your must-read, and that is simply, you look for upside risk to GDP and an unemployment rate that drives us down to a fully employed America. Balance that for us right now. Will that occur within market stability and national stability? Uh, Tom, that's, uh, that could be a tall order. But uh, look, there's an awful lot uh, driving growth uh, at this current point. We, we have, of course, the normalization of uh, demand coming out of COVID as people are being vaccinated. Uh, we, have, we have tremendous fiscal support both behind us and ahead of us here. Uh, we, we think that uh, we're probably at least a half a percentage point out of GDP on GDP out of what's still to come. Uh, but but the the uh, household income support that we've gotten so far, building up a war chest of uh, household saving that's going to get to something like 10 percent of GDP waiting in the wings to be spent. Um, there's, there's no way uh, we're, we're, we're going to see less than six, seven percent growth this year. Our own forecast is mm-hmm. above consensus at seven and a half percent. Uh, so that that that's certainly enough to get the uh, labor market by uh, second half of next year back down to the three and a half percent unemployment rate that we saw pre-crisis. In, in the dynamics that Matthew Lozetti uh, worked through for you, you took you coin a phrase and you talk about the Amazonization. I hope I got that right. The Amazonization of the American economy. Do we underestimate the cardboard boxes and the cloud that's out there from Mr. Bezos? Well, I mean, the good thing, Amazonization has a number of facets, but uh, one uh, very important for the Fed is, is despite this very rapid growth and uh, a tightening of the labor market, uh, unlike what we've seen for quite some time, uh, Amazonization is a factor that we think is going to keep inflation from getting out of control. Uh, certainly the, the, the vast increase, improvement in information flow about, about uh, supply and demand uh, of all kinds of commodities and services, uh, price information uh, now globally uh, is going to keep, we think, uh, after some, some initial disruptions as, as bottlenecks uh, appear during this normalization process, Amazonization working in the background is certainly going to be there. Uh, Peter, great to catch up with you, sir. Let's just round things out with a couple of thoughts on this for the Federal Reserve at the moment. The difference between transitory and persistent. You know, we talk and joke all morning about this, and Tom has a drink because it's the drinking game we play, and I think Vice Chair Clarida joined in recently too. What is the difference for you? What defines that as the year goes on? Okay, well, uh, one thing the Fed's been wanting to see is a string of uh, good information on the labor market. I think that's four or five months of something approaching a million on, on payrolls before, before they give us any indication they're going to be uh, 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 giving us a hint about tapering to come. Uh, 
uh, there's another another issue here is transitory versus persistent on inflation. Yes, we're going to get some. We are going to get a a bulge in in price increases in the middle of this year as growth normalizes as the economy normalizes. But another thing to keep in mind here, going back to this Amazonization, is uh, we've been above, well above trend in consumption of, of goods. Uh, COVID meant people drop back sharply on their demand for services. Uh, I think as things normalize, you're going to see a shift back towards services, and that means taking some of the pressure off the goods sector. So yes, we're seeing a lot of shortages. Yes, we're going to see some some real disruptions as these demand patterns shift and things normalize. But uh, we've been encouraged by the extent to which labor supply in, in the hospitality sector, for example, has picked up, uh, hiring has picked up. There's a lot of, uh, there's an awful lot of unemployed people that need to get jobs still. So um, there'll be some disruption. We will see some transitory price increases, but uh, our expectation is on inflation, which could get to two and a half percent in the middle of this year, maybe a little higher. Uh, we'll be back to or below two percent by next year. Yeah, uh, that's not a persistent problem. Peter, what's the economic effect of higher taxes? Economic. So, I mean, looking looking ahead at, at what we're what we we might get. I, obviously, from listening to some of your earlier discussion, a lot of uncertainty about just what's going to go through Congress here. But if Biden gets his program, uh, if we get if we get this uh, uh, two and a quarter trillion uh, uh, jobs plan uh, with the corporate tax um, uh, package to go with it, uh, that's worth about one percent. I mean. Assuming roughly 10 percent is uh, of the spending comes in the first year and the, the tax program goes through as planned, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing about a percentage point of GDP growth out of the spending side and roughly a half a percentage point uh, offset from tax increases. The, the total tax increase over the next year, something on the order of uh, by next year, something on the order of um, 90 billion dollars, uh, a little, little less than half a percent of GDP. So, yes, it's. I mean, there are all kinds of questions about uh, what impacts uh, the, the particular uh, form of tax uh, has uh, across different parts of the of, of, of the corporate sector as, as well as uh, households. Um, but but the broad the broad view macro view is we're looking at something like overall half percentage point stimulus to growth uh, would be more if it weren't for this half point drag from 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 the tax side. You know, Tom, it just strikes me the degree of policy uncertainty right now for economists to factor in. You've got that $2.3 trillion stimulus plan that may or may not see the light of day, followed by a $1.5 trillion plan expected to be announced well, this week, followed by potentially tax hikes that could have a negative impact. How do you game this all out? I think you game it out with five seats in the House come uh, November of 2022. I would suggest Lisa, the politics is going to take it over. Peter Hooper, you've got a 55-page deck, and there is one page which describes the foolishness of this all. It is stunning how the savings of this fiscal strategy has gone to the wealthy. It's absolutely a breathtaking chart. Folks, we protect the copyright. Go to Deutsche Bank to get the chart. Peter, how, how far apart are the two Americas right now? Uh, Tom, they've obviously grown ever further apart, uh, certainly over the last decade and, and uh, accelerating over the last four years with uh, tax cuts, with, with 
into the last year with the asset uh, valuation, asset gains in, in, in stock and, and the housing market. So um, no question, uh, politically, something's got to be done about this. Uh, it's going to be painful when it comes, uh, but that is certainly one reason to be considering uh, taxes uh, more heavily at the, at the upper income levels uh, at this point going forward. Peter, we've got to leave it there. Peter Hooper there, Deutsche Bank Global Head of Economic Research <clears throat> and Chief Economist. We want to bring in James Bevan of CCLA, Please the drag Chief him in. Investment Officer. James, do you like the miners right now in Europe? Sure, I absolutely do. I think there are some great quality opportunities. And what I would observe, interestingly, is, is the ratio between the copper price and the gold price suggests to me that 10-year U.S. Treasury yield should now be at around 2.5%. Now, we know it's not that, principally because Japanese investors have been buying, facing almost zero yields within their own market. But I would have a side bet with you that we will see the 10-year yield at 2% by the end of the calendar year. And that's a relatively big move, given that we only got through 1% on the first trading day of the current calendar year. Is that a move that looks like the move we saw in Q1, a move that's accompanied by better banks, better bank stock performance, better cyclical performance, better small cap performance? Do the cyclicals perform in line with that move higher on twos, on tens, two-two? I don't think they do. I think banks, again, have a very difficult time. I, I would observe that the banks are now awash with overnight deposits. That's extremely bad news for banks seeking to lend on. What they want are time deposits. They want long-term deposits. They don't want all the hot money. And I think, therefore, that the banks have had their day in the sun. I would only, in the case of the states, want to be invested in JP Morgan and Bank of America, both of which I think have excellent opportunity to cut costs to support long-term returns. The middle bank ranking banks are, however, again, a really struggle. And that, I would say, is going to be one of the challenges for cyclicals writ large. They discount a lot of bad news. When I'm looking at cyclicals today, I'm looking at the better quality defensive cyclicals, so some of the telecommunication companies, and some of the drinks companies like Diageo, which I still think looks too cheap. Uh, uh, James Bevan, I want you to rationalize 35 times earnings. My, one estimate of Microsoft is the 12 months forward view is 35 times earnings. Justify owning okay. Microsoft right now. Let, let me rationalize it by talking about the earnings yield rather than the price earnings multiple. Because, of course, the earnings yield is the price earnings multiple uh, reversed. And an earnings yield of 3% needs to be considered in the context of where cash rates currently are. The equity risk premium and payment for taking equity risk relative to, to cash as the risk-free rate of return does remain relatively elevated. And that puts all of the focus on whether or not we are going to get real growth. And I am in the camp that says we will get a short-term acceleration in inflation. That seems to me absolutely baked in the cake. Nothing we can do to stop that. But I do also believe that inflation is going to come down again. And I would say that that is driven by the demographic changes, uh, disruptive technologies, high levels of embedded indebtedness, and the continuing globalization that notwithstanding the trade tensions does mean that there is a lid put on the capacity for domestic businesses to raise costs and prices generally. And that allows me to believe that a 3% earnings yield 
coupled with long-term growth, still leaves a company like Microsoft offering premium returns to corporate debt uh, and also very much to government debt. If you're listening to markets though, James, I'm looking right now at earnings that have beaten expectations by 26%, 11% if you strip out financials versus the average of 5% during earnings seasons. This from UBS's Mark Heffele. How do you explain the fact that you have not seen a cheer from equity traders? You haven't seen this excitement about this growth that's beating expectations in what is expected to be a low rate world for a long time because of what you just said. Lisa, I think that one of the problems we have with earnings numbers is year-on-year -year comparisons are flattered by the extraordinary downdraft that we saw in March and April last year. And what investors are looking at is the trend growth rather than the one-off uh, growth uh, for the period. And looking forward, I think that we are going to see uh, well over $180 of earnings for the S&P 500. That allows me to project that index will stand at 4,300 points by the end of this year. And my greater concern is we get to that level earlier on the back of this extraordinary liquidity environment engineered by the Federal Reserve and Treasury. And that would be the moment to take money off the table. But no, I think that index earnings on trend are going well. I think the year-on-year -year comparisons are therefore going to be ignored. James, it's good to see you. Good to catch up, as always. Thank you, mate. Thank James you so Bevan, much. CCLA Chief Investment Officer. Right now on the president's speech on infrastructure, John Lieber joins us with Eurasia Group and his important experience with Senator McConnell uh, in Kentucky. John, I want to go down to the reality, which I'm sure you faced years ago with Senator McConnell, which is a bridge over the Ohio River. It is the Brent Spence Bridge. And it says all about how we can't fix our infrastructure in uh, America. How do we fix the Brent, Spence, the Brent Spence Bridge, given the president's initiative? Yeah, that's a great example of a really important piece of interstate uh, of infrastructure that carries quite a bit of interstate commerce and should be a pressing national issue that Congress wants to try to fix. That's really gone neglected for far too long. So, you know, I think the reality is, Biden's got the partisan alignment he needs to pass a, a very large infrastructure bill. Um, one of the biggest challenging challenges of the last 10 years has been the declining revenues in the Highway Trust Fund that's made paying for these type of repairs extremely difficult. But right now, we're in an environment where the Democrats are basically united around increasing taxes on corporations and wealthy Americans to get this stuff done. And, and, and probably by the end of the year, you know, they're going to have the authority to start the money flowing over the next five to 10 years to fix these kind of things. Do you look for a compromise that focuses on projects like the Brent Spence Bridge, or are we going to look for a more omnibus bill? I'd be surprised to see uh, Republicans even being really relevant in this process, frankly. I think that they have, you know, the Democrats have the votes probably to do most of the infrastructure projects. They've got big ambition beyond physical infrastructure with this human infrastructure side focused on child care and subsidies for education and health care. And, you know, Republicans just aren't going to play ball for that. And most importantly, they don't want to raise taxes to pay for it. And that's going to be the biggest stumbling block, I think, 
that makes this a, a, a basically a partisan exercise. And I want to go a little bit deeper into that, given your work with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, or former Senate Majority Leader. There is a question of whether they would be open, the Republicans, to any tax hikes. When you were working for him, did he talk about the necessity for paying for different projects, or did he believe that things would pay for themselves if you had the right projects? I, I think I'd say that the kind of your, your average Republican manager, uh, member, you know, believes in the in the user pay notion when it comes to infrastructure. So for a long time, that that user pay uh, idea was uh, embodied in the Highway Trust Fund, where get, gas tax fueled the Highway Trust Fund, and then the Highway Trust Fund was used to pay for service transportation projects. And now you've got people driving less, cars becoming more fuel efficient, and the gas tax hasn't gone up in in a, genera- a generation. So those revenues are declining. But if you ask, you know, your average Republican if they want to raise taxes on American corporations or a small business owner to pay for infrastructure, the answer is going to be no. Um, And this dynamic is just making it really difficult to get anything done. Given your experience in Washington, D.C., does a $900 billion skinny infrastructure bill, and it is funny that we're calling a $900 billion plan skinny, does it seem feasible and likely to be the outcome of some of these negotiations? Yeah, you raise a good point. I mean, it's absolutely wild. Um, two years ago, the uh, Senate Committee that deals with infrastructure put together a bipartisan bill that was around $400 billion, and it was considered a historic achievement. And now uh, many of the Democrats that were involved in that process basically rolled their eyes at the Republican $600 billion proposal. And it just shows you how, how far the goalposts have moved. Um, but no, I think the challenge here is the House. And that even if there were a Senate compromise that ended up around $900 billion, which I'm extremely skeptical of, of, of that, you know, the House senses an opportunity here, and Joe Biden senses an opportunity here to go much, much bigger in a, in a way that's going to be really transformative for America's anti-poverty programs and really change the game when it comes to green energy incentives. And that's really what this is about. This isn't about repairing potholes, fixing the Brent Spence Bridge, and doing a couple projects on infrastructure. This is about doing big things to accomplish the Biden agenda. It's why he ran. It's why he, you know, they think it's why he won. Mm-hmm. And, and that's their goal. How does the big things tone fold into the beginning of the run to November of 2022? Well, November of 22 is an interesting year. I mean, the president, the president, the party in power almost always loses seats, really always. I mean, there's very few exceptions to this rule. That the, you know, the party in power loses seats in the midterms. It's possible this cycle is a little different because of the fact that Biden didn't have any coattails. So it isn't like the Democrats have, a, have you know, extra members in the House, as, as some uh, majorities do. But, you know, the odds are, and the historical trend would be, that the Democrats lose probably the House and potentially the Senate as well, which means that Biden, like Obama and Trump, is going to lose his ability to do any legislation after his first two years. So if you think that your elect came to Washington to get things done, this is your window to do it as a Democrat. And I think ultimately that drives them to a, a partisan deal by the end of the year. John, it's good to see you. Good to hear from you. John Lieber there, Eurasia Group. Let's bring in Jennifer Lee, shall we? BMO Capital Markets Senior Economist. Jen, can we start right there, just on how you're reading some of the corporate guidance around cost pressures, around the labor market? Well, good morning, everyone. So this is where, as you're all saying, the the uncertainty is lying. How much inflation is really being built up through the system? Like if we were talking about this, like, say, nine months ago, 
you know, a lot of people were saying that you know, inflation is going to be very slow to come back, but we all know that at some point when things open up, and they are opening up clearly, uh, it's difficult as some, some um, companies are, are having it, but they are opening up, price pressures are mm-hmm. starting to rise. And this is why I'm always interested in watching things like the ISM surveys. The data are obviously clearly important, but what people are saying, what companies are saying out on the ground are, is, is very key. Um, so again, one of the ISM surveys, like the manufacturing one, that have always been talking about with the respondents, have always been referring to higher price pressures and uh, finding how labor is difficult to come by these days and they're paying more for wages and all that. So those sorts of, um, comment- those sorts of comments, um, what companies are saying, I think is uh, very critical to, to our, the inflation outlook. And we do see inflation, per- inflation perking higher in the months ahead. Do you model in wage inflation as part of that new inflation? We do. I mean, wage inflation is obviously um, part of the entire inflation picture, not just goods and services, which are also on on the rise. But with labor shortages and people or companies struggling to meet this newfound demand, they need people to create these, you know, to create these widgets, to be on the factory floor, for example, to be at the restaurant floor. And so in order to get more people, obviously, they're going to have to start Hiking, um, uh, hiking wages and bringing in and, and introducing more benefits to lure people back into the labor force. Does it still feel transitory, Jennifer? Um, a little bit, yes, uh, because we're not all the way there yet. Um, you know, this pandemic is still, you know, front and foremost on everyone's minds and everywhere in the world. So things are moving forward, but you know, obviously it's going to depend on what, you know, what, which area, which country we're talking about in the, in the U.S. Uh, has been, uh, you know, at the, at the forefront and has been moving uh, forward very quickly thanks to the fast pace of vaccinations, you know, the U.K. as well. So things are opening up. So it's, it's looking better. It's, it's definitely looking a lot better uh, uh, this year. And then you have other countries who are not, uh, who are still struggling on, on vaccinations, like in Europe and in India, of course. And that's where things are still, you know, I don't think we're at transitory yet. We're still at the beginning stages. It's got to be the word of the year already. Jennifer Lee, thank you. BMO Capital Markets Senior Economist. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.